0: reporting from the third annual Health 2.0 Winter Tech meeting here during J.P. uh, Morgan Healthcare Conference Week. And it is my privilege to introduce you to Dr. Erica Bliss, who is the CEO of a company called Q Lions. Hi, Dr. Bliss.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Doing great. So first up, tell us about q Lions. what's the company about?
1: So q is what we call a direct primary care practice. We do exclusively primary care. And the basic notion is that we've gotten rid of the fee-for-service basis uh, for payment for primary care and instead replaced it with a periodic payment, monthly payment. Um, and we don't bill insurance for for what we do, and what that allows us to do is actually sort of revitalize what primary care is supposed to do. We take care of a little bit smaller number of patients than a typical doctor, we spend more time with them, um, and we have the freedom to care for them in whatever venue we need to, in, in order to build and maintain the relationship with the patient. So, we have in-office visits that are extended, half an hour to an hour, typically. We can do phone visits, we can do email, we can do video chat, whatever. You know, any uh, I always joke smoke signals if we need to you know whatever we we tell our providers and staff do whatever it takes to take care of the patient that's really their job and um, what we found is that it really creates a trust a a very trusting bond with the patient and the practice not only their doctor and they're able to really manage their care much better and, and keep a lot of the care at the primary care level that really belongs there.
0: So direct practice, uh, is that anything like a concierge or retainer medicine model?
1: So direct primary care grew out of the concierge world, and the motivation for us to start Q 10 years ago was, you know, why should some people get very personalized relationship-based care and other people shouldn't? Let's see if we can democratize this and, you know, bring it down to a lower price point, get it out to the mass market, and test this to see how it works and um, so the some of the concepts in concierge medicine like you know increased attention to the individual patient having more of a direct relationship with them etc really building on the relationship that's those things remain Um, but this is differs in the sense that it's always a periodic fee sometimes concierge is a fee on top of fee-for-service so they're not really breaking out of the same incentive structure that the fee-for-service world has
0: so comprehensive primary care. So we're at risk for primary care services only?
1: Correct. And when we say risk, you know, it's it's pretty limited risk. You know, primary care is a pretty well-defined basket of services, and we're never going to be doing cancer treatments or, you know, well, I take that back. Cancer is gonna, treatments are going to change a lot over the next few years, so we may be doing that. But, you know, we're not going to be doing hospital care or bone marrow transplants or that kind of thing. So it's a pretty predictable set of activities that we're going to do. So, um, you know, we can we can easily structure the business to support the care model uh, so that we can be available to our patients and get them what they need.
0: And how do you work with specialists or ancillary services or hospitalizations?
1: We work with specialists and hospitals just like anybody else does. So um, part of our mantra is that primary care is a predictable, low-cost, desirable event, not something you would insure. Um, advanced care, all those hopefully You know, bad things that hopefully hopefully don't happen to us um, are things you want to have insurance for, so you don't get wiped out financially. Um, So, you know, we have to deal with the insurance companies on behalf of our patients when we refer them to specialists or hospitals. Um, So, we do try to get people into specialists that are within their network, and um, we don't want to impose additional costs on them. Um, But we do kind of curate the specialist community um, on behalf of our patients, and we try to send them to people who really. Um, respect the role of us as the primary care provider who will treat our patients very well and, you know, most importantly, give them great care. Um, Same thing with hospitals. We send them to whatever hospital is the right place for them to go that is within their network. Um, Some hospitals are better at some things than others, you know, so we try to get people navigated to the right place. And then we just monitor what happens. We close the loop. We bring them back home to primary care, um, hopefully with their problem solved
0: so direct practice at some level is a disintermediation play in terms of an insurance company or a third-party payer how are you finding the acceptance for your model in the marketplace and give us a footprint essentially of q Lions in the state of washington
1: So I'll start with the footprint and work back from there. Uh, We have six clinics in the Puget Sound area, and uh, we have about 25,000 patients. Um, We have about 15 providers spread amongst that uh, range. Um, And we do actually work with an insurance company. Um, It's a Medicaid managed care company in Washington State. And through them, we do Medicaid and also exchange uh, population care. Um, They were... They were the first insurance company to really get it that this could really be to their benefit, and they've seen that we've saved them a lot of money. That we've been able to raise the level of quality of care for these folks, um, and that their members who come to us have a very high degree of satisfaction with with both us and the plan. Um, it's been I'm talking I've been talking to other insurance companies for a long, long time. Um, there seem to be a lot of barriers in the way for the traditional and commercial insurers to do this, and it's kind of interesting. I think on the one hand, they understand the value of what we do, and they really want to do it, but it creates a whole bunch of problems for them, not the least of which is technological problems because their systems don't support paying in this model, um, and um, and just sort of structural and... and um, Priority problems. So, for example, we were kind of getting somewhere right before the ACA was implemented, but then when ACA came about, the amount of restructuring and regulatory requirements and all that that they had to deal with put all the innovative stuff on the back burner. So um, there's been this sort of like opening and then closing and then opening and closing effect, um, which is more driven by the bigger um, healthcare environment and, and economic environment than anything else. Um, you know, I think they used to see us as a threat, and I think now they see us as a potential partner. But how to how to get comfortable with that and get there? Uh, they're not quite there. I think what's going to happen is what we're starting to see happen is that um, sort of off-brand or, you know, sort of non-traditional insurance companies that have not been in the healthcare space for um, most of their existence are getting into it because they have the flexibility and they're understanding the opportunity to build plans around Direct primary care uh, that will take advantage of that and they can price it at about 15% lower than a typical plan. So I'm seeing those come in. We're starting to work with one ourselves. Um, and I think once it's kind of like every industry, right? You know, if an industry gets so stuck and so bureaucratized in place and it's making money the way it's doing things, there's not a lot of reason for it to change. Um, So it's a big lift for them to say, we're going to do something very innovative, because they're taking a big risk. And the people in charge of that don't want to get their heads cut off, right, if it goes badly. These other companies, it's brand new for them, right? So why not? It's a new line of business, potentially, and they've got nothing to lose. Um, So those are the ones that are going to come in and do the innovation and force the rest of the market to come along. That's how I see this happening.
0: So you're having conversations with insurance companies, health plans, and hasn't yet yielded fruit per se, other than maybe what you're doing on the Medicaid side. Do you what, what's the trajectory here? Do you see yourself becoming an HMO light of sorts, Medicare Advantage? Uh, are you going to assume more risk, actually manage a network, uh, or are you going to stay pretty much a direct practice?
1: I can't say for sure. I think you know our mantra as a company, our philosophy as a company is that anything that helps improve access to quality of experience with primary care and the goals of primary care, we're in. So whether that's technology or delivery system or partnerships or whatever, we're going to do it. So, um, you know, early on in the direct primary care movement, it was pretty insurance companies were anathema to what we did. And there was very much this standoff between the two, but we're very opportunistic and practical and we just want to get the job done. So if there's an insurance company that will partner with us and do an experiment and see if we can make it work, we'll do that. So um, I can't tell you what this is going to look like in five or 10 years because I I think nobody can really predict what our healthcare system is going to look like. But um, we will... I think we'll continue to do those kinds of partnerships and just kind of run it like a horse race. Whatever takes off the most, um, that may be the way that we turn this. I, I think, though, fundamentally, what I'd like to see happen and what I'm pushing for now is a restructuring of the way we pay for healthcare. care. So separating out primary care from advanced care, paying for it differently, maybe even having a completely separate funding stream managed by the government, payers, employers, whatever, as a completely separate purchase. Um, obviously, the two parts of the system work together and need to be aligned with each other, but we should be, ideally, I mean, I think it would be great to have a universal, continuous primary care benefit in this country, where nobody ever loses their primary care coverage. You know, I, I mean, hopefully they'd never lose their advanced care insurance coverage either, but at the very least... As a country, we should be able to make sure that everybody always has access to primary care because that's how you solve excess ER visits. That's how you solve unnecessary hospitalizations, unnecessary specialist visits, unnecessary radiology studies, is having continuous constant access to good primary care. So that's where my mind is going in terms of where we need to go. How we get there, yeah, it's totally unpredictable. I have no idea.
0: One question about um uh, what percent of your members have a high-deductible health plan where you're essentially the front-end primary care um, service?
1: You know, it used to be it was a pretty small percentage of folks. Um, now, with the exchange population in particular, that's a very high-deductible population. I mean, t- $6,000 in some cases. Um, a lot of employers we work with have gone to higher and higher deductible plans. It's kind of the norm now, um, which is great for us because it makes the case even more for what we do. If you're exposed to a very high deductible, the, the thing you should be doing is investing a little bit upfront in taking care of yourself and preventing problems and managing things at a lower level. Um, and an organization like ours can keep you out of trouble so that you're not going to be hitting your deductible. You know, and so we should really be trying to keep people from ever having to use their insurance. I mean, that's what we do with homes and cars, right? You try not to have an accident so you don't, your rates don't go up. And plus, you know, you don't want to have an accident in the first place, just like you don't want to have a health problem. I don't see high deductibles going away because the structural problems that are driving um, premiums up are well entrenched at this point, and no, the ACA wasn't able to solve for that, and I don't see any policy discussions out there right now that will really change that in any way um, care continues to get more expensive it continues to be unmanaged and until we fix that insurance is just going to get more and more expensive that's what it does when there's too much utilization is they have to raise the premiums and raise the deductibles and jimmy all that to to protect the bottom line of the insurance company which is their business by the way you know it's there's nothing wrong with that if we're going to assign them the job of insuring health care they're going to have to manage risk. So, uh, it's just it's a predictable outcome at this point.
0: And ten years in, do you have maybe some metrics you can highlight in terms sure. of outcomes, cost, impact, quality, uh, user satisfaction?
1: Absolutely. Um, we've seen in I'd say overall that we can drive down the total cost of care by about twenty percent, and that's without. A lot of cooperation from the system. That's with having to navigate a very messy, broken system. Um, so it's inefficient. It's difficult. It's costly on you know on our scale. But we do it, and we make it work, and that drives it down about twenty percent. I think that there's much more savings to be had. Thir- you know, another ten to twenty percent easily. Um, but you know, we need a little give and take from the system. We need to kind of have have some things changed before we're going to be able to get to that on a consistent basis. Um, but, you know, nobody's saving 20% out there except for some of our more innovative models, you know, like our company and other companies out there. Um, on the patient experience side, um, we do a modification of a nationally validated survey. Um, we just don't make, do the whole thing because it's too long. But on the key things that people talk about, like communication, did you understand what your doctor told you? And, you know, did they tell you what you needed to know in a way that you could understand. Um, were you taken care of in a timely manner? Whatever that means to you. Um, were the staff respectful to you? Did they help you? Um, you know, Could you get in when you needed to? All that kind of thing. We are now scoring consistently 95% and above, which is unheard of in healthcare. Um, in fact, we got 100% on a couple of measures. So I double-checked that, because I was like, that's not possible. But um, it, it is happening. Um, it's not perfect. We have things that go haywire, but we also take the attitude of we jump on those things and not only fix it, but treat it as a system error and do what you're supposed to do in terms of quality improvement and say, what could we have done better overall that we could prevent this? Because if one person complains, it probably happened to a bunch of people. Um, providers love it they feel, they work hard. I don't want to make it sound like we're all kicking back because we have fewer patients. We work very, very hard for our patients because we're doing more. Um, But the work is all about patient care. And so we have um, lots of providers who want to work for us. um, Lots of people who get excited about this. I talk to residents and students all the time. Um, And they, I let them come and talk to our doctors without any sort of filter because I know, I want them to be honest, but I also know that people are going to pick up on the fact that this is a Vastly different environment. Um, Because what I'm telling them is take care of the patient, that's your job. Here's your salary, take care of the patient, help us build the company, and that's all you need to do. Um, From a quality perspective, we've more recently been able to really get some hard data there. I always say to people the biggest measure of quality that we should really be focusing on in this country right now is how many hospital days per thousand. So we've found that we can reduce hospital days. Depending on the population between forty and sixty percent, which any one of you know Caremore Iora, all those companies will tell you they do the same thing, and it 's because we can spend enough time to do the right thing for the patient. we can close the loops and we can follow up with them. So we nip problems in the bud before they happen. Now some of that is training patients to call us first and not wait until the problem is a bigger problem, and once they understand that they 're motivated to let us know, "Hey, I think I might have a problem." You know, and that's all we need. Then we can take it from there. Um, So, you know, when I've talked to folks at centers for Medicare and Medicaid services and said, who've asked, what do you think of our quality measures? And I've said, I don't think they're very good. I think you're missing the point here. If you've got practices that are reducing hospital days by half, something is going on that's quality. Because I can't stop people from going to the hospital. If they're sick, they're going to go. So that means they're not as sick. Um, And these are equally represented pop- populations, not like a super healthy and a super sick population. Um, that said, we're starting to follow some of the um, national uh, data points like HEDIS, um, and we're finding that while we're not up there on every measure, we are hitting the 90th percentile on a lot of measures that are considered important by the government and payers and all of that. So. We're kind of hitting it on all sides. You know, we've got the patient high satisfaction, high provider satisfaction, um, high quality on the sort of small measures that are generally paid attention to, and then very high marks on some of the big picture stuff that needs to happen. So I'm really happy with what we've been able to do so far. We need to do a lot more, but so far so good.
0: Sounds impressive. So my last question is uh, <clears throat> as we look at the deconstruction or the repeal and replace or repeal and delay the Affordable Care Act uh, and then what will eventually emerge perhaps as Trump Care, how do you see that impacting the Lions business model? You
1: know, it's a great question. Um, we've really thought about this and realized we're kind of fine either way. You know, if if the ACA continued as is, it would continue to, you know, change and develop over time. That's what happens with big public programs like this. They never are done on the first, you know, uh, first implementation. You look at Medicare, Social Security, all these programs, they had to – it took years to sort of develop them into, like, a really well-situated program, and they still have problems with them, right? So um, – we would have fit in just fine because we were already starting to work with plans and Medicaid and we were figuring out how to work within this certain kind of insurance environment. Um, if that changes radically, the need for primary care doesn't change. You know, we're, we're so focused on the fundamentals that any healthcare system needs to deal with and any healthcare system that's going to control costs at all has to have primary care that works. So we have something to offer to the system and to the public really no matter what. And we know we're, we're a vital part of it. It's just the process of getting society to put its money where its mouth is, which we're not very good at in this country when it comes to prevention or investing in our future. Um, but I think we're getting our comeuppance a little bit about that, our infrastructure in general is not doing so well. And someone at some point is gonna have to do something about that. Um, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm sort of agnostic at this point. I think we'll be fine, we got plenty of work to do and uh, we'll adapt to whatever political environment comes our way.
0: Well, Dr. Bliss, thanks for spending some time with me today and good luck up there in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I used to rule the world, seas rise when I gave the word. Now in the